Discerning Trauma-Informed Therapy on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Ernie Baker. He's married to Rose, and the Lord has blessed them with six children, five that are married, and they have 11 grandchildren. He has the privilege of serving the Lord at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, as a pastor of counseling and discipleship. In addition, he has the privilege of chairing the online undergraduate degree in biblical counseling at the Master's University, serving as an adjunct in the graduate program in counseling and as director of training for overseas instruction in counseling. He's the author of Mary Wisely, Mary Well, Help, I'm in Conflict, and Help, Disability Pressures My Marriage. He's also contributed chapters to five other books and written many journals and magazine articles. Ernie's certified with ACBC. Uh, he also serves as a fellow and a conciliator with the Institute for Christian Conciliation. Ernie, thanks again for being with us and looking forward to this topic today. It's always a blessing to be with you, Dale. It's always good to uh, to sit and chat, Ernie, and always look forward to your measured responses in, in these things. And particularly, we're going to need that today as we discuss this issue of trauma-informed therapy. And this is something, this is a topic that's sweeping really across you know the, the secular world. This is something that's been growing, particularly since the 80s, more heavily in, in the counseling sphere before that in discussions relative to post-traumatic stress disorder uh, in in the secular world as well. But but even more recently uh, in the biblical counseling movement, this has been a, a hot topic of uh, of interest for many people. So I, I want us to to lay out a little bit about trauma-informed therapy, and then I want us to, to talk about discerning, because I think that's an important role for us, Ernie, to learn how to discern. So so if you will, let's, let's start in the place where just describe for a little bit trauma-informed therapy, and then I want us to work into uh, how we discern that. Real quick note on how widespread this is. I just recently taught in Africa and Ethiopia and Uganda. They were all about trying to think about how do we help people with crisis and trauma. And I brought up uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, to my class in Uganda. And uh, one of the students said, oh, someone just told me last week that I need to read this book. So it's not just an American thing. This is uh, kind of the buzzword around the world. People are talking about what do we do with trauma? And it's obvious because our world has a lot of needs. Our world is in crisis in many ways, and I'm thankful we have answers. Yeah, that's exactly right. So so you're right. It is spread everywhere. And, and I want to make clear, too, um, you know, as people think about how folks have been impacted by trauma, they're, they're seeing real need, as you mentioned. They're seeing uh, how broken we are as people. They're seeing how people are impacted by the brokenness of the world, the curse of the world that we live in, the the evil, genuine evil that we see happening in the world. And, and those things are very real, that we are impacted by those things. So, so talk for a second. When we're describing trauma-informed therapy, uh, what exactly are we describing here? What What are some of the primary concepts? I'm very thankful for the training I received at Westminster Seminary. And even though I was involved with biblical counseling before doing my doctorate there, a man there that's had an influence on a lot of us had a massive influence on me named David Pallison. 
And he taught us a way to think about anytime we're hearing theories and concepts from the world, we need to be asking questions through a biblical lens of what are they seeing, what are they observing, what are they hearing? Now, how do I think about that biblically? And you were starting to do that uh, when you were talking about evil in the world and just the immense amount of evil in the world. Uh, He taught us a system that I'd like to talk about a little bit that can be used with any counseling theory, not just trauma-informed therapy, or it actually would be when you're talking about therapy, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, trauma-informed therapies, because there's many different methodologies that get used, but it, it really is a whole system of how to think about people and problems. And the the way David taught us to think about it, he gave us six S's, and then I've added a, a seventh through the years. The six S's, I'll just run through them quickly, and then we can go back and talk about what each one is in trauma-informed counseling. But every counseling system has a source of authority. And to be a little bit technical, that would be the epistemology. Every counseling system has a view of what's wrong or etiology, and I'll just use our theological word, sin, because I am Baptist, so I have to have all alliteration here. So source of authority, sin or etiology, where's the problem coming from? And then what's the solution? or our theological term would be salvation. And let me just pause on that one just a moment. It's very intriguing to me how the psychologies even are self-aware sometimes because uh, Carl Jung, his psychology, his psychotherapy was described as a, quote, way of salvation. So they're even self-aware at times of what they're proposing to people. Well, once you decide what the problem is and what the solution is, then you come up with methodologies, and I'll use RS, which would be sanctification, of how do you help people change, or the secular word would be therapy or therapies. And then every counseling system has uh, support systems, who teaches it, who promotes it, and that's very true in trauma-informed counseling. The next S would be servants of the system. And this is the one that we've added over the years to the S's of what's the role of the the counselor. And in each system, the counselor has a different role. It's very intriguing in trauma-informed counseling because they use all kinds of various therapies. So the role of the counselor is different depending on the type of therapy used. And we definitely have a, a view of our role, of what we see as our role as a counselor. The next S is support systems. Who supports it? For us, it would be the local church and the local church uh, promoting and teaching and giving support to people who have been through trauma. Uh, Then the last S is, here's my desperate attempt for another S, sparring, apologetics. Every counseling system defends itself. And we're, we're definitely seeing in the counseling world There's articles written for and against trauma-informed counseling, a lot of people supporting it. So I use those S's, those seven S's, I use as a criteria. They're my lens to try to think biblically about whatever theory I'm hearing in the world. Now, that's helpful. And I want to get to the discernment part, because I think this is where 
uh, we're often lacking in how we discern relative to certain therapies. Uh, I want to start in two places, if I can, Ernie. The, the first place, just in describing more broadly the concepts that we're talking about here relative to trauma-informed, it begins in a place, you mentioned Van der Kolk, where there's description that when trauma happens, that the, the body itself is, is storing up in some way, whether that be in, in terms of repression, that it's repressed in some way, or it's storing up in some way in your neurological system, the trauma itself, and that described in terms of neuropathy, that, that neurologically something is happening where as the trauma is experienced, your body sort of takes over in autonomic responses, and that trauma then stores up to the point to where then the, the body sort of responds automatically in different you know, situations or scenarios that either liken that trauma or repeated trauma and that sort of thing. And so these therapies are intended to, in some way, help to manage this bodily effect that happens. And so that's sort of the, the starting place, you know, in a nutshell. Again, uh, Van der Kolk certainly not the only person who's written about this. There have been many, many, many people writing in this direction. And there's difference of opinion on neurologically how people are impacted by advents of trauma. And so let's get to the point to where we're discerning. You use this framework as the, the seven S's. I think that's really helpful because what most people don't realize is, is any counseling system, as you mentioned, they're promoting a, a worldview, a, a setting, uh, the way to understand people, way to understand their problems, and then how to fix those problems. And with that, when we take the scriptures as as biblical Christians, uh, there are certain things, as you mentioned, I love the way that you're describing some of the S's in terms of, of doctrinal truths. They're non-negotiable. And I think sometimes, Ernie, we get in trouble when we're willing to take a methodology because in our heart and mind we think, man, this can help people. And we never want to deny someone something that we think might, quote unquote, help people. But while at the same time we are compromising non-negotiable doctrinal commitments that are true and will always be true according to Scripture. Nobody's doing that necessarily intentionally or as an evil actor to try and maliciously tear something down. But this is a part of how the deception works that we have to be paying attention to. That's why it's important that we put it on the same playing field as what you're trying to do here. So I'm, I'm eager for us to do this as we look into these seven S's. So start helping us discern, Ernie, as you, you work through these seven S's to understand trauma-informed therapy and, and how we can discern best this counseling system. I'll do the best I can because there are a lot of opinions about these things. Uh, you know, my general framework is going to be Vanderkolk again because his book has been, I mean, it's really kind of a phenomenon. It sold two million copies the last I checked, and that's that's pretty amazing. And if our listeners haven't read the book, they really ought to read it if you want to be an informed, be culturally informed. You really ought to read The Body Keeps the Score and think through okay, what is he saying? And you'll start seeing the epistemology, the source of authority come out. I was just reviewing this with my wife the other day, and I was reading her a couple of pages. Page one, page two, you start seeing evolutionary theory come out. And he talks about trauma being stored in a primal part of the brain. And as I've listened, I've listened to many, many, many hours of presentations on trauma-informed counseling. And it's really influenced by evolutionary theory a lot. So as a discerning Christian, I need to be discerning, okay, what's truth, what's true, what's not true. It gets complicated because I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't know the neuroscience, but I do have core doctrinal commitments about what my source of authority is. I know I don't believe in evolution, 
So as soon as I start reading evolution, I have to, okay, I can hear him in one sentence say, and he states both as fact, trauma changes the brain. Well, I'm not a neuroscientist again, so I have to, I'd have to read someone else of, okay, what goes on in the brain? Well, that could be fact. But the next sentence he says, and the trauma is stored in a primal part of the brain. Well, I'm hearing theory there. I've run that statement by physicians, a primal part of the brain, and they go, primal part of the brain? What's the primal part of the brain? So being discerning, I have to, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? What are they seeing? Now, because I don't want to come across critical, I want to be discerning, but I don't want to sound like a critical spirit, I I have to say, as I read the literature, as I've listened to hours and hours of presentations, I am struck by the compassion for humans. I mean, these are people that are willing to do hard, hard work with people who are really struggling because of the way crisis has hit their life. Anytime somebody's willing to struggle with another human, and be deeply compassionate, I'm thankful for them. The answers, though, that we give struggling people are really, really important. So his epistemology is really clear. It's brain science. It's evolution. My source of authority is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And it's easy to forget this if we think, okay, the culture has found something. It would be easy for us to get overly impressed with it and forget the nature of what we have. We have the living word of God that we believe has sanctifying power within it. You know, for our listeners, please think that through, that we believe that the word of God, it's the word of the living God, and it has sanctifying power to change people going through the deepest struggles in life. So that's his source of authority. Now, based upon the source of authority, he explains what the problem is. So the sin is your brain is storing trauma. Therefore, he says in his book, we remove all the moral responsibility. I think it's on one of the opening pages of the book. We remove moral responsibility. And so it becomes natural then of why humans respond And as we know, if you deal with people in trauma, they're going towards drugs and alcohol to try to deal with the trauma, to try to drown it out and to help themselves feel better. So Vanderkolk and others are very concerned about why do people turn to drugs and alcohol? And they directly connect it back to, well, it's the brain. And so we we now remove moral responsibility from people. They're just responding naturally to all the horrible things that have happened to them. Now, I want you to keep going. Let, let me interject because it is drug and alcohol. I would also add uh, a part of the narrative that, that happens here is that hurt people hurt. And, and so they're continuing violence in some way, whether that be through abusive relationships or a child who, who experiences trauma you know, at a young age is one who then later perpetuates this in some way. And and a part of what you just described, if we strip moral responsibility in this case, describing this as being naturalistic, built up in the body, 
person's not responsible. The, the category that some people are pushing this in is that then any response that I have to trauma that's happened to me is a part of the suffering and it becomes excused that way. I think, Ernie, that's very dangerous because, again, we are, we are removing moral culpability from us as being responsible for whatever's entrusted to us in, in how we respond first to the Lord and then to our sociological environment. And so I, I would think it would be, would be dangerous in some way for us to, to remove that moral culpability, and that's what distinction that you're making. So, so keep helping us work through this in discernment. That brings up the whole issue of causality and what is causing me. And I, you know, sometimes I think in terms of primary causality and maybe secondary pressures that can feel like causality. And according to scripture, trauma would be part of the circumstances of my life that are drawing out what's already going on in my heart. I serve things, I want things, I desire things, and I have been through intense circumstances in my life, so therefore I love and hope and want certain things, and I'm reacting, I'm responding to that pressure that I've been through. Well, that's a different view of etiology than what the culture has. For Vanderkolk, it's going to be, no, it's physiology. You're just a single part being. There is, you know, the idea of a soul, uh, et cetera, would not be part of the model of anthropology. You're just acting out of your physiology. Well, my physiology, you know, we've said for a long time as biblical counselors, my biology can't make me sin, but you know, my body can't make me sin. I'm responsible for how I am responding to the circumstances of life, no matter how intense they are. Now, can I be compassionate toward a person who's been through horrible, horrible circumstances and be patient with them because of the way life has gone for them? Absolutely. But bottom line, they're still responsible for their, their behavior. Yeah, I would even add, not not only can we, I think biblically we we should be, right? Compassionate, patient. That's uh, a part of First Thessalonians 5, 14, in teaching us to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and then be patient with them all. That, that's certainly what we've been called to do here. So I think that should be at the forefront of our minds as well. Vanderkolk and others then talk about the solution. And the solution is multifaceted. I'm going to run, for the sake of time, solution and sanctification together, because they propose a solution. Well, there has to be an understanding of the brain. And then it's very intriguing to me to listen to him talk about why the multiplicity of therapies. If you read The Body Keeps the Score, he's got suggested therapies from all over the place. And it's the idea of there's an eclectic approach because of I think he would say, I hope I'm representing him well here, that well, people have different personalities and there's different cultures. So what may work in one culture may not work in a, what are, works in a Far Eastern culture may not work in an American culture. So there's a multiplicity of approaches, including yoga and meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR and all kinds of things are approached as the way to help people. For us, that raises a really very important question is, biblical counseling has believed from the beginning in what we our doctrine we love is sufficiency of scripture. 
And is there enough in scripture to help people who have been through the most horrific circumstances in life? My conviction is that the answer is yes. Now, maybe we haven't thought through all the applications yet of how to get people, help people apply biblical truth to their lives, but that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have enough or that there's insufficiency in the Bible. So where the the culture is going to say we have to try all these methods, we're going to say, no, our source of authority is Scripture, and I want to work out the applications of Scripture, and I want to build my methodology right out of what I see my source of authority. And that's some of my concern is when I hear people saying, okay, I have the same source of authority as you, but I want to use secular methodologies. Well, please understand those secular methodologies are coming right out of a belief system. And I want to be consistent within my belief system so that my methodologies are coming right out of what I believe the problem is and what the Bible would say the solution is. Yeah, because methodologies have have a particular aim. And that aim within that system is we're going to alleviate whatever is hindering this person from operating, you know, what we would consider to be normally or in a healthy fashion. And that methodology, while we want that person to feel better, Okay, and we we think the end justifies the means. We forget that that methodology from a, a secular therapeutic approach it has an aim that it's it's trying to achieve, and that aim is is really becomes a replacement of the work of the Holy Spirit. It becomes it becomes a replacement of the work of the Word in the heart of a person in order to overcome deep stressful difficulties, distressors in life, and that it's making a statement. That methodology is, is aiming at something in particular. And in this case, it's we're, we're going to help the body itself to come to a place where now it can obey. Well, that's taking the place of what God says is the work of the Word and the Spirit in the life of a person. So that methodology in itself is not neutral. It's aiming at something. And although I'm well-meaning and I, I want to see something good come out of this, I'm aiming at something in particular, and, and that's where you see the discrepancy here from the Scripture. And I'll just remind everybody that our Lord said in Isaiah 61, He came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And uh, I believe that that can happen with people who have been through deep trauma because embedded in the gospel is the power to change lives. And uh, I have in my mind right now a man who used to walk up and down our street in the town I grew up in, and he was a World War I veteran. And I asked my dad when I was a little boy, who is that man? And he said, that's uh, Percy. And he was shell-shocked. And he's just a a dirty old man who always wore his trench coat, even on hot July days, he was wearing his military trench coat. Something had happened significant to Percy, and he was stuck. Now, how do we help Percy? Well, Jesus came to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted, but I want to use biblical principles to help set Percy's heart free so that he not can just be healed of his whatever happened with the trauma, but that Percy can be forgiven of his sins and have a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's really the answer for the Percy's of the world is true wholeness, true, true fulfillment in life is being in relationship with the creator. Okay, Ernie, so we're moving through these S's and we, we've, we've, I think, laid some foundation that's very helpful. One thing I will mention before we move on to the next S is 
you know, we don't we don't want to give the impression that you know biblical counselors are dismissing the body as if the body's not important. No, we we are holistic beings. We are embodied souls. We, we understand very clearly. We just we're trying to explain or, or see people from the way man is described in Scripture, flowing from the inside out. Doesn't mean he doesn't have responses, reactions that we're not bodily beings that have real physical matter that, that operate in the world in which we live. But we are trying to see the, the flow of that man from the inside out and the way that we're impacted from the outside in and how the Lord tells us to to adjudicate that according to Scripture in a way that still is is honoring to Him. And so that's what we're trying to, to establish here, I think, in, in a way that's helpful. So we, we have some more S's coming up. I want us to to move forward in helping to discern uh, trauma-informed therapy with with the next S, your alliteration, Ernie, which I love. <laughs> My Baptist alliteration. Yes. So uh, I'll just piggyback on what you were just saying, because it, this brings up the issue of what is the role of the counselor, so servants of the system, and is it my role? How much is it my role to, and this is a controversial issue, but how much it is, is it my role as a biblical counselor to care for the body, talk about the body, counsel people about their body? And I think of a lot of information for me as a biblical counselor. There's a lot of things I know that I don't share in a counseling session. So I go into a counseling session and I might be sharing Isaiah with somebody. I know a lot of information about Isaiah that I don't share with my typical counselee, but that's all gone into the hopper and shapes the way I'm talking to the person. So I think of some of this information as what's my primary role as a counselor and what's my secondary role or you might or secondary information that's nice, what's tertiary information? Like, do I really need to have this information to do biblical counseling, even though it shapes the way I'm speaking to people in the counseling? Is that how I should use my hour or my hour and a half with the counselee? So the role of the counselor is really important. I see my role, my calling, my specialty is I care about helping people hear the living word of God and how it applies to their struggles. My specialty is not the body. There are other people whose specialty is the body, plenty of people that they can talk to about their body. My role is to be an expert in biblical truth, and I'm to be an expert in how do I apply that to the Percy's of, of the world. The next S is support systems. And for us, that's the local church. We're being told as a local church to do no harm, uh, that we really shouldn't be involved with people like this. And I would say that it's part of our calling to love the most hurting people. And for us at First Baptist, uh, we have been through some horrific years recently of uh, domestic abuse situations. And I can tell you that even with severe domestic abuse situations, have we done everything perfectly? I'm sure we have not, but uh, we have people that would say we've loved them well, and they have learned how to apply biblical truth to their lives. And I love the local church. I love how the Lord uses the local church to minister uh, to people. In the, in the secular world, there are whole other support systems. Uh, the last S is sparring, and that one we can cover quickly because it's just about apologetics. And in a sense, that's what we're doing right now. We're doing apologetics. Uh, Vander Kolk's doing apologetics for his belief system. 
Uh, every belief system does apologetics. I believe we have a complete belief system. And one of the ways I define sufficiency of scripture is not just that scripture says it's sufficient. That's one way to define sufficiency, like 2 Peter 1 or 2 Timothy 3. But scripture is sufficient because it shows it has a complete belief system. And I am so thankful for that. So we have a whole way with biblical eyeglasses to think about trauma-informed therapies and this whole system of how to think about people. Now, obviously, Ernie, we we can't tackle this subject as widespread as it is and as growing a thought this this narrative is. We can't tackle the whole thing. Even though we went a little long today, we, we want to make sure that we're giving a little bit more attention to, to these things. What we tried to do today is give you just a beginning framework, a, a, a way to think about not just trauma-informed therapy, but lots of secular therapies. And these are the areas where I think uh, we could be sharpened and refined to think well. And, and Ernie, I think you've helped us here, particularly as it relates to, to trauma-informed care, something that's very, very popular in the day in which we live. Uh, you're going to be speaking about things related to this even at our annual conference, and I'm looking forward to that coming up. And so, Ernie, thanks for spending time with us today and, and helping us to discern uh, this trauma-informed therapy. I'm thankful to be with you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Listen, I'm so grateful for Ernie and his work here on trauma-informed issues and and even giving us a a framework by which to evaluate and understand these types of of theories. As I mentioned before, uh, we are talking this month about issues that are related to mental health. This is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it has been our custom for the last several years to dedicate the podcast to talking about um, these types of secular therapies, secular ideas, and giving biblical critique. Um, So the ACBC and and biblical counseling sort of gives a framework of of how we see those secular philosophies and how we address those from a biblical perspective. And so I want to remind you that you can go back into the history of of our Truth and Love podcast the last several years in the month of May, and you can find other issues that we've addressed, like the, the history of psychology. We've talked about the history of psychiatry. We've talked about issues like EMDR and all kinds of different therapeutic approaches and giving a a biblical evaluation. We hope to do that for the rest of this month as well. And so I want to encourage you to to pay attention. This, This year, we happen to have five Mondays in the month of May, and we're looking forward to our time together. We're going to spend two more talking about issues related to trauma-informed care. And and then the last two weeks, we're going to talk about sexual identity constructs, which is very prevalent in the culture in which we live. I think you'll find those things helpful. So stick with us over the next month, and uh, we hope you'll hear a lot of things that, that are front and center in our culture and how to think biblically about these things, as we always try and do with our resources. And you can find more about uh, mental health, some of the issues uh, that we've talked about in the past at biblicalcounseling.com.